There was plenty of hype surrounding Steven Gerrard when he was managing in Glasgow. After a second from Aston Villa, what does this do for Steven Gerrard? Where is his reputation now and what does he need to learn from his experience at Villa Park? Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show in a week where Liverpool showed that they're consistently inconsistent yet again. Aston Villa have got a new manager, but the question is, has Steven Gerrard got what it takes to be a top-class manager? And Roy Keane spouts a whole lot of nonsense trying to defend his buddy Cristiano Ronaldo. My name's Roy Shanahan, and I'm joined by David Bugle and Neil Dobbs from TheBigKickoff.com. And Dave... Unai Emery is the new manager at Villa Park, but before we go and discuss him and, and what he might do there, where did Steven Gerrard make his mistakes that cost him his job? Yeah, like, I have to repeat myself because I said it at the start of the season and you're saying, which is terrible because it's what we do every year, who are the most likely. I stuck my neck out a bit and said I think Gerrard's under a lot of pressure because of the whole Tyrone Mings thing and then constantly changing the team whether he plays the one up top and then is it going to be either Watkins or Ings and then if he plays the two up top it was like he didn't really know what his best side was then he was getting confused over Coutinho and Buendia and it was just like very chop and changing and not really finding a nice level of consistency and I'd say the dynamic with the whole Mings uh, captaincy you know there could be a few guys who are in a bit of a click and just it just never seemed to get going and any good result was followed by just as many bad results and then of course the ultimate slap in the face which most teams do they put in a phenomenal performance and hammer um, the teams left me head 4-0 at the weekend I, there was just too many chopping and changing like I said one or two players that he brought just didn't quite materialise this year who came in with a bit of a reputation of Diego Carlos and Bubacar Camara and they've been injured which probably doesn't help them at all but deep down um, there was just a lot of messing about with up front and as I said with the guys in the midfield I, and then the, with the captain he was just setting himself up for a bit of scrutiny that probably wasn't needed and you know you've been there long enough to stick to your guns to know what you need for, with, with your guys up top and, and even formation wise was kind of chopping and changing and that's not a good sign and if, if they're like people are creatures of habit and eventually the team need to feel like the manager knows what he's doing whether it's a good enough uh, system or not but at least they know what a system is and then they can either just kind of build from that but right from right up until his last game you can't really say what his best side was and uh, it was a recipe for disaster because after a few months eventually you know who your formation is eventually you know the core of your team and then you start building around that and it just that build hasn't happened in my opinion and he was on a hiding to nothing by the looks of it Yeah Neil he playing Danny Ings up front then he's pushing Ollie Watkins out left Ollie Watkins was scoring goals for him up front Leon Bailey out the right hasn't really hit the ground running Coutinho Mm. sort of flattered to deceive started off well in a few games and then decided to uh, kick his feet up and and, and smoke a cigar they haven't really done him any favours have they? No, and I, I think that's the crux of it for me um, is the fact that he, he put his kind of faith and he put his money and he put his, I guess, his job on the line. Um, Coutinho is definitely the one that stands out that, you know, you're expecting to come in, get something out of him, bring him up a level, kind of rejuvenate his career. And it looked like, you know, after a game or two, this was going to be the dream sign. And, and I think that's really backfired on him because 
I would say Buendia was probably in better form up to the point when he joined. He was brilliant in the championship as in Buendia the, the year before. So he was a guy, I think, Katina, that he didn't really need to sign, but he was kind of a, a glamour signing and someone that he thought he could do something with. So that's one that definitely let him down. And the second one for me, as you just said there, was Ollie Watkins. I mean, Villa have had really good success and you think Watkins would be the kind of blueprint of the way that they want to play and he ended up shuffling his front three I'm just looking back I was looking back to the games like for Chelsea he had Bailey, Ings and Watkins up front but he just never seemed to be able to find a way or a balance that he could put Ings and Watkins in the same team I understand why he wanted to fit all these guys in but for me they lacked a lot of wit I think they were very reliant on the fullbacks. And as a result, they played very, very square. When you had Buendia and Coutinho and then one of Watkins and Ings up front, they just thought everything was through the middle. So if they didn't perform through the middle, the, the, the two um, the two eights being Coutinho and Buendia, I think they were in big, big trouble. So I guess, look, you live and you die by the sword. They were the decisions he made. He tried to kind of, I think, fit them all into the team. And as a result, it just ran a cropper for him in the end. Is that a failure, Neil, that he didn't have, it seems that he didn't have a clear picture of what way he wanted his team. Players win games and you have to have the right players in the right positions to do the job. Obviously, you pick the players with the right mentality, but if you have that right, it's up to the manager to make sure the team is balanced. 100%. And I mean, you, you could also give a little bit of blame on the way he handled the Tyrone Ming scenario. Now, look, Change of the club captain, you might think, is a very straightforward procedure, but it brings a huge amount of attention on the manager, number one, and then the player that's been stripped of that captaincy. So that doesn't really help you with the dressing room dynamic either. So look, the big decisions that he had to make was about Tyrone Mings and the, and the captain, who was going to partner Mings slash Konza in the back line. You know, do you play a midfield diamond or whatever way you play with the two guys in behind, maybe Ollie Watkins? And yeah, I mean, ultimately, he's the guy making the decisions. If he can't find a formula that's going to get them at least, you know, to mid-table, that it buys him a bit of time, then maybe if he's only one or two um, differences in what he wants to set up as, it buys him time to put himself through them games. But as Dave said there, you could kind of see this coming a couple of weeks ago when things weren't going right and it felt more of the same without really getting that extra kind of kick out of the squad so it felt inevitable in the end albeit you know you'll see how it figures out between now and the end of the season see if Emery can come in and kind of get a tune out of that same group of players Dave if you are a football chairman you're looking for a manager what kind of club now is looking at Steven Gerrard? Um anybody really look at the end of the day like I he's cutting his clock similar to Lampard Lampard got the Everton gig which wouldn't have surprised me considering what happened at Chelsea so there like he, he has a chance for Premier League but somebody needs to go quick I think if he, if somebody doesn't get that quick he, it might pass him by and he has to kind of either drop down to the championship or wherever but um there will be, because of his name, it's similar to, to Lampard, somebody will have a bite. There's no two ways about it, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, but that won't last long. And it's a bit similar to what I said about Lampard with Everton. He needs to do well at Everton or potentially the ship could sail because that's how quick you can be a forgotten man. So Jared definitely has at least another gig in him. Um, but I, I genuinely believe it would have to be 
quick enough for somebody else to be sacked in the Premier League and to have a chance of the Premier League. Otherwise, he might just have to take his medicine and maybe go down a notch and uh, try and build a reputation up again because the next the next choice is is, is vital because obviously um, the reputation is, is is highly tarnished from this because straight away now they're going to start belittling the Scottish League while well, it was respectable when he first came but now it's going to be a shit division as soon as uh, now he's looking poor you know yeah absolutely um, Neil what does he learn from his time as a manager and Unai Emery what can he do on the job um, well Gerard I definitely think can learn a hell of a lot from what he's after doing as in where he's after coming from with the Rangers job I think he'll learn a hell of a lot about how to handle his squad how to make decisions you know and you know, I think he's a decent enough backroom squad, uh, sorry, backroom team with him that he took from, from Rage, obviously, and brought up with him. But, you know, I think you have to have a couple of them kind of bad times in your career in order to bounce back. So, as Dave is saying, if someone comes in from fairly quick, you can bounce back really, really quickly. So, you know, I think there's loads for him to learn across. Even as such a short time, he will learn a hell of a lot in the Premier League. As for Emery, I think he's at a good standard. I think he's a very decent squad. I think they've added to it well over the summer. He just needs to get the balance right. Um, now, that might take him a couple of weeks or he might get an instant reaction. It's hard to know. But I would say kind of a safe pair of hands, someone that's very experienced. He knows the Premier League, you know, like he was with Arts in the Premier League. So that should stand him well. Uh, it just depends on how you gauge where do you want this Villa team to finish by the end of the year. Um, and for that, you, know, you never know. I mean, is it knee jerk to get rid of Gerard already, or will Emery now bring them up the table? So, final tell on that one. Absolutely. Um, Liverpool were in Champions League football tonight, seeing out a comfortable 3 0 victory over Ajax. Dave, the Nottingham Forest result at the weekend, Klopp's Jekyll and Hyde team continue to scratch heads. What's yeah. your thoughts now? Yeah, like. The irony is our two best performances of the year have been against Man City, you know, and it's very much um, similarities to before kind of Klopp's era where we would always shine at the, against the top teams and then always stuck at the bottom. Um, and I, it, it was kind of ironic, really good against City, half the game decent against West Ham, and then obviously just not there on, on, on Saturday. Now, look, there is a few injuries. Let's not mess about. It is tough at the moment, but at the same time, that's one of them games. You'd call it like a championship game. That's a game where this is this is by hook or by crook, lads. We need to win this game, and let's not care too much about how we do it. And as the game went on, you just got that feeling it wasn't going to happen, and maybe that's a, a, a an indication of where Liverpool are right now. Do like they're all aging together. Obviously, they brought in one or two new bodies, but is it a case of? a bit more of, of the old guard needs to be changed and freshened up but let's not bang the drum about midfield but I think we all know our opinion on that that needs to be upgraded no doubt but um, they are getting hit a bit with the injuries of the others that are going to start suffering now as well and you can see the starting 11 wasn't overly impressive and if Forrest had any kind of little belief of putting up a, putting up a fight once they seen that 11 it would have galvanised them a bit more so as it's almost, it is a bit old school where we do what we do against the big boys, i.e. City, half decent against West Ham, and then, like, yeah, it just wasn't great. Just not at the race as well. Like, I don't think it's down to tiredness at the moment. I just think it's just trying to get a level of consistency at the minute. But everything's been chopped and changed. Liverpool's biggest strength for the last six, seven years under Klopp is it's fairly straightforward, 4 3 
fairly straightforward core group of 14 or 15. Obviously, a few of them have gone, a few of them are injured, and it's just it's just a bit messy at the moment. And you're just like, as long as they can stay within touching distance before the World Cup break, um, they, I'd like to think they'll get going again in the second half. But that was a massive game on Saturday, purely because you were going to gain points on one of your rivals, and our nearest rivals would be the likes of Chelsea and United. They were playing each other, so you're going to gain points on somebody. So losing to Forest is a massive loss, considering the two, ironically, uh, gained a point in them. So what he can do quickly, um, just make ourselves harder to beat at the moment. I don't think we can be overly um, flamboyant or overly attacking with what we do. We just need to make ourselves harder to beat at the moment until we can kind of strengthen the, 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 the medical recovery of some of them and then maybe yeah. if we get lucky in January if the lads have some secret secret deals that we don't know about that sounds like there's a bit of hoping there Dave um when you when you look well, yeah because the gap is getting bigger and bigger right you know it is, well it, it is but when you look at that team that was put out there that team should have been good enough to be a, a nuts forest team who have been struggling for consistency themselves so there's, yeah, there's certainly that's, that's a, a, the dreaded, that's a, the dreaded paper again, though, Roy. You know, it's the dreaded paper. We had this debate about United. It should be easy on Thursday, and they make the four or five changes, and it wasn't easy. You know, it, every team needs a level of consistency, and if you're making four or five changes every game, it's going to be inconsistent. Your performances will be inconsistent, regardless. On paper, without a shadow of a doubt, it's a better team. But if they haven't played together all season, how are you expecting to perform at the very best of Liverpool week in, week out? And I'm talking about any team, by the way. Yeah, I, I, listen, I, I totally understand. I game. totally understand that. But we're talking about Nuts Forest who are bottom of the league, Dave. That, that's, that these players are, it should, oh, be, should be good enough oh. to come in and beat them. No, I, I agree with you. But at the same time, it, it, it's not Liverpool at the moment. Like, look at, the, like, look at that squad that started. It, it's not the Liverpool. And some of these lads aren't that hot. Fabio Carvalho has not got off the ground. Gomez went backwards uh, compared to the week before. Fabinho's just not been at the races. Curtis Jones' first game back still has yet to prove himself at all at this level. And um, Milner is purely a squad filler and he's playing week in, week out at the moment. So some of these guys aren't as hot as they are. Like, we're looking at the badge more so than the actual team. Like, it's probably half a side there. Now, I'm not overly defending them. It still should have been, like I said, whatever, what by hook or by crook, you need to get that win because that's how important it is. However, the performance will not be pretty. You know? Yeah, well, well, they made Serge Aurier look like Cafu, so I'm not sure there's something definitely going yeah. wrong there, if that's the case. Dave, or Neil, mm. Klopp has, there's been a bit of talk about him this week, saying that he might not be around this next year. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, it, it was interesting. They're, they're kind of waxing lyrical about this seven-year cycle that Klopp does, seemingly. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously the Dortmund scenario but no I, I look for me it's massively premature I mean again I keep saying you go back six months and they were chasing down a quadruple which was like unprecedented Champions League final chasing down the league leaders Man City which is almost impossible these days you know and all of a sudden now you fast forward they've had their injuries and all you know excuses behind um there's a lot of excuses, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think it's mad talk. Uh, I don't listen to Klopp's interviews. I don't think he's, sometimes you see Klopp, he can be a little bit rattled, a little bit fuzzy. He can be very kind of aggressive and, you know, he, he'd be defensive over certain questions. I, I don't know if I'm seeing that yet. I don't think the media have turned on him in that regard. And I definitely don't think 
the Liverpool supporters and the ones that have seen him for the last six years would would even entertain. Someone put in one of their fan pages today that if they sacked Klopp, there'd be a riot, and I I, I go with that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, who it, it, it's always a thing of be very careful what you wish for. Who would you replace him with? Don't mind anything else. What he's done with the squad and the team, I think, just speaks for itself. You know, he's going through a sticky period at the moment, but. The other side, as in the silver lining, is he's blooding a lot of players that probably wouldn't got near that team. Should everybody be fit? So he's going to have to take all the positives. And I agree 100% what Dave said. You just need to stay within touching distance of the top four because that's all they're fighting for now. Let's make no bones about it. After the World Cup, you get back Jota, you get back Diaz, Thiago's fit, and all of a sudden, it's a very, very different Liverpool first eleven. And I think that's what it all comes down to. They just can't have these one or two stars drop out of the eleven and be the same Liverpool we've seen in the last few years. So when you look at that then, Dave, what Neil's just after describing, he feels that the squad isn't big enough in quality when you compare it, I suppose, to Manchester City. But I suppose no one is... Uh, has the quality that Manchester City has there. But is that Liverpool's failing then that they haven't, on the crest of a wave, haven't improved the quality of that squad? It started two years ago when they lifted the trophy. They did nothing in the the summer. And the first thing we said was bring in at least one player and at least one player that's in the starting eleven, so that they don't rest on the low. And we did nothing in January and the same the following summer. So... Keeping things fresh and keeping things topped up hasn't happened. And this this potential problem kicked off over two years ago. It didn't just happen this summer. Because obviously they had to buy a few this summer because they, they realised, well, not realised, but whatever their plan is, they're, they're obviously patient in their build-up. You know, obviously the rumour of the likes of potentially the Bellingham's because they're patient about who they get. But the problem is the patience could bite them in the arse because this needed to happen as, as far back as, as winning the title because they were all 26, 27, 28 at the same age like at, the time, at the same time and it's obvious you can't do a, uh, a complete overhaul in one season and it's like one now, one the year after, one the year like we, and the way Liverpool spend, you know, you sell you, you sell, you have a pot and then the money you make from selling so unfortunately we, we started this problem a couple of seasons back and now obviously with a couple of injuries it just goes to show you he likes a core group of say maybe 16 to 18 more so than the the 22 and 25 potentially of others and obviously some of that core group has gone missing now again unfortunately and uh, yeah uh, this, this this problem started as I said two years ago and this is the problem now that we're in Okay well it's going to be interesting to see after as you said Neil there's going to be a few players who aren't going to a World Cup who will be rested up which will be good to and I'm looking mm. through the, the Liverpool squad there could be a good few players who are not in the World Cup and the younger players so Klopp yeah. may be actually uh, have some good time with yeah. this team uh, during the November and into December. So, yeah, very interesting to see now come Christmas what kind of yeah. Liverpool comes out. Because you know yourself, Roy, this, the, the second half of the season, it is almost like two divisions or two leagues. Like this, like you could you could say the worst thing for Arsenal is the World Cup break because it could completely disrupt their momentum and stutter. If you know, like somebody is going to not have the same form in the second half and then somebody who hasn't been great in the first half, might get going in the second half. And that's the irony. We could be waxing Liverpool about Liverpool and then maybe going, geez, it's the worst ever thing ever happened to Arsenal. It could happen. It is going to happen one way or another to a couple of teams, but mm. that's how messed up this season is going to be now. You know, No football for six weeks is going to 
be a hindrance to some but could be a blessing to others yep Okay, last weekend Roy Keane tried to defend Cristiano Ronaldo's position at Manchester United after he walked out of the stadium in the midweek game against Spurs. Dave, he was talking a whole lot of nonsense, wasn't he, in all fairness? I think he was exercising a few of his own demons at that argument, to be honest with you, mate. I think so too. Um, when he was talking 100%. about... Yeah. I think it was, there, was, there was a bit of his own that he wanted to talk about look uh, to be honest I wasn't a fan of either of them I thought Neville is oh yeah when it's all done and dusted and it looks like it's all over you know then he pipes up with the opinion if he had said it a few months back when there was none of this going on I'd say fair play to you for sticking your head out from the crowd but he hasn't he's waiting till it's done and dusted and then he has the opinion that's a little bit different so I'm not too bothered about his side of it either but yeah with Keane it was definitely I felt there was, yeah, it, it felt like if, if this was like from 2005, even 2002 or whatever, you know. Ronaldo will be at that top of the table when we're talking about the greats in this world. But not everyone gets the dream ending. And at the moment, he's playing his part in not having the dream ending by doing what he did during the week. I think Ten Hag should just, and the board should just shake hands and say, best of luck, thanks for everything, and let him go in January and get rid of that distraction and let it be somebody else's problem. But it doesn't have to be somebody else's problem if Ronaldo chooses the right club because he needs to find somebody who needs him and who, who, wants who wanted him though don't just go Dave no one wanted him in the summer no one no one put the yeah, b- no bids were put level. in but that's what I'm saying he needs to make that choice now if he wants to stay at that level he needs to somebody needs to tell him if he can't realise it no one wants him there's rumours at Chelsea but that's just probably to sell some shorts and I would I, I'd say Graham Potter would want nothing to do with it but he mightn't have a choice but then it would be Graham Potter's problem and that could really upset Chelsea's uh, current form the way they're going. So whether he needs to just swallow his pride and just go off and maybe retire after the World Cup or maybe go off to America or go wherever, but just peter away because like not everyone gets that dream ending. Look, Maradona scraped that barrel anywhere he could near the end and, you know, the likes of R9, we all know what he did. He kind of pulled himself up now. He was plenty of injuries and obviously the body wasn't the same. Not everyone gets the dream ending, and to Z- be honest, Z- I think the ultimate reason why he wants to, well, yeah, it's the best ending ever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're going to go out, go out in a blaze of glory. Personally, I know 1%, and I know little or nothing about the guy, I wouldn't be surprised if the ultimate reason why he wants to stay around is because there's somebody two years younger, and whatever record he has, he'd be second in every single one of them. And I think that's the only reason why he wants to take stick around in Europe. And, and that's, that's the thing though Dave I, who is it like I mean could there not have been an agreement you know to let him go in the summer maybe there yeah. could have been but then again no one was coming in yeah. looking to talk to, to him you know it, yeah. there was loads of talk about yeah. sport in Lisbon but is he willing to drop his wages that, that much to play and he has exactly. to be now but he wasn't obviously then yeah. it's up to him like if, if he wants to whatever he wants out of his career he needs to make take finance out of it, take everything out of it. Where can I go that need me and that want me that I can rack up a few more goals, rack up a few titles and finish off this legacy? Uh, That's the decision he has to make. But if he wants to try and stay at the top, he's going to struggle because whoever takes him, if anyone at the top took him, it would be like, treat him like the way United treated Wayne Giggs. Listen, you're only going to be in for 20, 25 games. You're going to be in and out. We're going to use you because you're a 37-year-old. You're not the peak of your powers anymore and that's no disrespect to him that's just where he is at the moment and it's just a simple fact so if he takes finance out of it 
he has a chance of going somewhere, but it it probably won't be where he would want to go to, let's be honest. Yeah. Neil, I was baffled by some of the pundits. Graeme Sounos is on Talk Sport there this morning and he was talking about Ten Hag probably won't be there in five years' time and people probably won't remember too much of what he did. But Ronaldo be always the, the greatest or if one of the greatest footballers of all time. What's going through these people's heads? Are they just spouting nonsense out uh, without thinking? Because... That's not the argument. The argument is you're a footballer, you're getting paid nearly yeah. a half a million a week to be part of a team and it is a team sport. Ronaldo has never figured that one out. It is a team sport and he's failed to do that in every way possible and is is not a role model to the, the people in there and you know how quickly something like that can kill a dressing room. Yeah, I, I think with Ronaldo or maybe some of the pundits, I think they're kind of, it's almost like they're falling back on nostalgia or the fact yeah. that he is one of the greatest of all time and they've elevated him to a position where he's the ultimate pro, the greatest of all time, highest goal scorer, record breaker, you know, Champions League winner, for all now. the accolades for now. And they're, they're allowing it to cloud the fact that on the most basic level of running a club, playing in a club, being part of a team, being in a dressing room. He's breaking all the rules. Like, with Graeme Sooners, who loves to, you know, wax lyrical about the Liverpool boot, clo- uh, boot room and the, the way the dressing room was ran. And, you know, people used to turn around and go, you know, his story about Ronnie Moran used to tell me, you know what you're doing, get on the pitch. How would Ronnie Moran have felt if Sooners had walked off after not being substituted? Sorry, not going on as a substitute and walked off in Anfield and made the same thing, even though Sooners had won so many Champions League titles, he would have been absolutely slaughtered by the fans and by every manager or every figurehead at the club. So, you know, he needs to kind of look at it from the other side of the fence. I understand a little bit that they're trying to be protective of Ronaldo and his legacy, but to come out kind of saying this is a Ten Hag issue, I don't see what Ten Hag can do at the moment. He knows the football he wants to play. He's beginning to get that team working for him. And kind of the last thing he needs is for Ronaldo to be up front, stropping, and the team almost, I don't know, one of the away games in, in Europe this year where they were almost trying to lay the ball on a play for Ronaldo, almost like like a charity game, like a pity. So that's yeah. not what Ten Hag wants. You see it. So he has to move this guy on. Um, and I don't understand any other argument. He must be detrimental in the dressing room. There's a couple of the players that are coming out now and kind of saying, oh, I don't want to talk about that. I only want to talk about those who contributed to the, uh, to the results. And that's kind of telling me there is a little niggle beginning to start. And that is the last thing as a manager you want in the club, in particular with Man United. Dave, when you look at Ten Hag, has he handled this in the best way he can possibly handle? Yeah, like obviously Ronaldo fired the first shot that night and... Ten Hag didn't exactly come out swinging straight away after the game and then there was the next day he kind of came out and said his piece didn't really say it with any great drama it was like well he refused to come on and he kind of went about his business and he said he's been, it's been dealt with he's, and that was that and there hasn't been too much he kind of came out said what it was not training with the first team he's not in the squad on Saturday and jobs on and he kind of moved away from it and doesn't want to know about it and rightly so and it set a stall out to his side who's going to be with him there next year. And I fully expect him to still be there next year with the guys who's already there going, no one is safe. Everyone, this is a team effort. Everyone has to do their best. 
Now, Ronaldo, or should I say his PR team, came out the next day with a fantastic statement on his, one of the socials, which was very well put. But it's 24 hours too late, mate. And it's obviously, I think a lot of us and everyone and a mother would probably realise that that didn't probably come from him, but whoever is paid to do it. So I think he handled it quite well. And then he got, the best reaction he got was the, was the draw away to Chelsea, where any other time you'd be sitting yourself thinking, are we going to get the same performance that we did against Man City and the, and the others? And you've seen the way the, the guys jumped into the crowd afterwards and Casemiro giving it the big one, considering where he's been. Martinez had a picture of him and the fans screaming at each other, going, we're in this together. Fans lap that up, you know? So they're making a statement of what, what, what's important. And, and the most important thing is what's down beside your chest, and it's the badge. It's not, Ronaldo's face isn't there. It's Manchester United. And it's the same for any team, Ireland included, and whoever else. And um, Ten Hag, I think, handled it well, said what he had to say. That's, the, that's where we are. Move on. The players reacted and gave him what what the what the fans were delighted to see with the performance. And it, it, as far as I'm concerned, it's done now. If Ronaldo's back training, Ronaldo's back training. If he does what he's told, I'm sure he'll give him some game time again. But he needs to tell the line. And job well done. Neil, it's, as Dave already discussed earlier on, if he goes to Chelsea, is, is that a better fit for him than it is at Manchester United? Because he'd definitely be an upgrade on Aubameyang. Yeah, I've, uh, I, if I were Graham Potter, I wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot barge pole, uh, to be honest with you. I don't think it's his it, choice, Neil, to be honest. Yeah, it might not be his choice in the way that, you know, uh, Todd decides to buy players at Chelsea. It's like fancy football. But look, if they brought him into Chelsea, you'd still have to have the same conversation with him. Listen, you're not going to start every week. Maybe you'll start more home games. Maybe, you know, we'll, we'll cater for you a little bit more. Does, I, I just, you know, how would you even broach that conversation? It hasn't gone well with any other manager that decided, and that was even Solskjaer when he was making apologies every week when he had to leave him off or not bring him on. Unfortunately, Ronaldo, regardless of the manager, the stature of the manager, you will always be asked why he doesn't go on the pitch when he doesn't start and why he doesn't go on and play any part. So it's new territory for him. I don't think it would be a good fit as in for Ronaldo because I think he'll still fall into the same problem where he'd be further down the pecking order um, and then it's yeah, where do you go from there then so for any manager watching what Ten Hag is going through or thinking please don't be me and if it's Potter that doesn't have control over that situation he may light a candle over the Christmas and hope and pray because that's the last thing he needs he's beginning to get ahead of steam up as well um, just listen kind of when you're saying where you think he'd end up Ibrahimovic played in Italy up until what he's 40, 41 wherever it was that to me, if he wants Champions League football, a title, that type of thing, kind of the only place you can play if you're Ronaldo now. Lower, uh, lower standards, slower game, and you know maybe you could find a suitor out there. But I just don't see it being the Premier League myself. Okay, we're going to finish off with Newcastle United, Dave. And at the moment, they're flying. They're in the top four, twenty-one points level, I suppose, with Chelsea. But they are only seven points off the leaders and Eddie Howe has kind of revitalised a whole load of players, not only just bought in players, which they have, there's no doubt about. I think they've spent 200 million, I think Isaac has nearly 70 million of that. But they needed it because they haven't had any sort of money being pumped into that club in years. So this is not as if it hasn't been needed or welcomed by the fans. 
But Eddie Howe has turned the likes of Joe Linton and Almiron into players that they haven't been seen before uh, his time there. Yeah, without a doubt. Like, I think, you know, if you look at the um, the table, it's five wins, six draws and a loss. 20 goals scored and 10 conceded. Like, he's got a miserable defence as well there. As much as the guys are doing well going forward, it's making them hard to beat which is the big thing. He only lost once, um, obviously a couple of draws. So I, I think they're lacking one or two goals, but that's, that's, that's an easy problem to fix with the potential money bags that they have. I know it's not that easy to get the right man, but I think Joe Linton's the biggest masterstroke. Uh, <laughs> like he came into the strike and never looked like one. Not once did he ever look like one. As soon as he put them into midfield, he's a different player and you can see his size and his stature but he can play there's no denying he can play and then when he does get his chances he finishes them with a bit of a plumb compared to he was more like a plumb and he was up front you know it's unbelievable it's night and day and then Almiron Almiron always had the energy he was like an energizer bunny all the time there's no denying that but now it seems like he's tapped into it and he's using it for the greater good of the team more so than it looking wild and reckless um so credit where credit's due and then obviously sorting out the back line obviously with Trippier in there Dan Bourne and a few um, Shar is still there there's another guy who I think is injured Botman, uh, yeah. Beltman is in Sven Botman yeah, centre-back yeah. Botman apologies and then you've got obviously Hope or Pope is a, is a fine goalkeeper so he's kind of done the right things solidified the back line obviously the midfield is now a little bit more upgraded with some of the current players and then you've got the quality of Bruno Gamarish in there as well and to be honest for where they are right now, I think they're probably as high as they can be with what they have. But at the same time, a phenomenal job. And they're in the mix. 12 games in there, you can't just say it's a flash in the pan. Are they going to be one of those teams who might have a problem with the, the, the break in momentum after the World Cup? We'll wait and see because there is going to be some strange, strange thing happening in January. There's no denying that. So, so far, so good. But they could be one of them teams where it's coming at the wrong time. But uh, credit where credit's due, but definitely very hard to beat if they can fix uh, not a problem but if they can get a little bit of a streak going and keep Wilson fit or have somebody who's up there consistently grabbing a goal maybe every other game then it's game on for the top four potentially you know If you look at their team Neil and you look at the players there Callum Wilson as Dave just said he knows where to, to how to score a goal but the problem is staying fit when you look around our team, there, there's a decent solidness about this team, but the, obviously the work ethic and the team ethic is, is unbelievable and that's what Eddie Howe brings. When do they start bringing in the odd next level player and, and what type of player or who, what kind of name can you see? That, that won't be this year, but quite possibly next summer. They could look to be stepping up things. Yeah, it just depends. You know, I think we've kind of touched on this before, how, you know, they want to tread the line on financial fair play. Do they just want to throw caution to the wind? I think they might be following kind of the city model where, you know, you're bringing in your uh, lower, well, your next tier. You're not bringing in top tier. So um, I, it's hard to know where he's going to go with the team that he has now insofar as, as Dave is saying, I think they're maybe hitting their ceiling or their thereabouts because they're definitely punching above their weight but looking at the midfield like Joe Willock Gamares and Longstaff 
you know, you could quite easily put an upgrade of one of them in there. And it could be any Premier League player proven or not. It could be anyone from one of the other leagues, top leagues in Europe. It just depends if what kind of price tag they want to put on it. So if you look at Botman and Gamaras as an example, you're looking around the 40, 50 million mark, which is crazy money to get for Newcastle based on, you know, the last 10 years. But I would be looking to increase the midfield as in the stature of the midfield. Gomez was a was a master boy, so someone to accompany him in there, and um, maybe as a you know defensive midfielder, attacking midfielder, that type of thing. But you know, I mean, it's quite a big statement. A big statement. As soon as you said that, and the more you said, what would be a big statement and a potential future if he has that potential is if they got in the mix for Bellingham. I imagine they got their hands on him. Mm. Yeah. It yeah. could be one well, of them that starts him off. Yeah. Remember Rodino, Rodino signed for City. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that type of player that breaks the mould when one guy goes there, even if Rodino thought he was signing for Chelsea. But either way, once you break the mould once, it becomes a little bit easier. So, yeah. They have to, I think you have yeah. to eventually do it. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's probably that's probably the one, Dave. You know, again, West Ham are going to struggle yeah. to hold on to Declan Rice, and you just wondered would they kind of look or, at him or, as or well? Declan Rice, sorry, yeah, exactly. Because like, like, City seem comfortable. Obviously, well, Liverpool are definitely going to be in the mix for midfielders. There's no denying. So there's a few of them up for grabs. So it'll be very interesting if Newcastle could get in the mix there, and if they do. That, as as Neil alluded to, that could open the gates and be the Pied Piper effect, and others follow. Yeah. Okay. We're. I think we're going to well, obviously if they finish higher up, right, it becomes obviously a lot more yeah. easier to attract that type yeah, of player. Of you know, you're still not going to get the Champions League type of player, but you're looking for the guys that are aiming to be in that kind of mold. So, yeah. I mean, for them, it's a blank checkbook, but they have to break them all once before they start off. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's so much to talk about in, in the Premier League alone. Uh, let alone the Champions League where Barcelona have been knocked out and Juventus uh, but we don't have time this week so we're going to talk about that next week and um, we'll, we'll, we'll see who else joins them because uh, we've got one more week of the Champions League and it's going to be very interesting of course the World Cup's around the corner so um, football will <laughs> not stop Dave, Neil thanks very much and for you for listening thank you Cheers,